0: From the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead and this is part two of a special edition of the Queen City Bulletin for April 30th, 1861. On today's show, the renowned aeronaut Professor Thaddeus Lowe will present the conclusion of his aerial trip from Cincinnati to Columbia, South Carolina. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Radway's Regulating Pills. Radway's regulating pills are the great regenerative medicine of the age. Ladies for years, the victims of depressing, life-consuming complaints of a special nature, are restored to health and vigor by their use. All the ordinary affections of the stomach, bowels, and liver yield to the first or second dose. Six pills suffice in the worst cases, and they operate in from three to six hours, more effectually less than thirty of the drastic class given in such nauseating quantities. Coated with sweet gum, the pills have no disagreeable flavor. They not only cure costiveness quickly, but permanently. And in biliousness, they are infallible. Dyspeptics who have suffered for years recover in a few weeks under this painless operation. They act powerfully upon the circulation of the blood, rendering it uniform and equable throughout the system. Try Radway's Regulating Pills today! And now for part two of Professor Lowe's incredible adventure. When we last left the professor, he had just crossed the Alleghenies and had spotted the highest peaks of the Blue Ridge Mountains, dividing north and South Carolina. He was now woefully off course from his intended destination of Washington, D.C.
1: Feeling uneasy, lest I should get into South Carolina before I could get out of the current formed by the mountains, I discharged a quantity of ballast and again ascended, with the hope of clearing them to the north. But as I need them, I again glanced off to the south, until near the highest peaks, when being determined to test the reliability of the upper current in that unfavorable spot. I immediately discharged 60 pounds of ballast, and in 10 minutes, my elevation was 15,000 feet, with gas rapidly discharging from the upper and lower valves. And then... I continued to discharge weight and let off the gas until I attained an elevation of 22,500 feet above the level of the sea. Here the thermometer fell to ten degrees below zero. The water, fruit, and other things froze, and it required all the clothing and blankets I had to keep me warm. But I had gained one victory. I had cleared the mountains, whose tops were covered with snow and was rapidly moving to the east. It was now twelve o'clock, and I could distinguish the blue ocean over the eastern horizon. Not having sufficient ballast to remain at that great altitude, the balloon gradually sank down to within twelve thousand feet of the earth. Here the current was a little south of east again, and knowing that the coast in that direction was an uninhabited swamp, and being desirous of landing near a railroad, I concluded to descend and look out for a good place." I heard the firing of a cannon, and concluded I was near some village, and on nearing the earth over a plantation caused great consternation among the inhabitants who seemed to be entirely unacquainted with such a scene, and it was some minutes before anyone could be persuaded to approach, and when they did, they would not render me any assistance, but threatened destruction to the hellish contrivance that had frightened them so. But I learned of them that I was in the township of Spartansburg, near the line of North and South Carolina. They would not believe that I had sailed from the state of Ohio that morning and informed me that they would be very thankful if I would leave and ordered the Negroes to let go of the rope they were holding. Being desirous of getting near a railroad, I threw out a bag of sand and commenced to ascend. At that moment, one of the bystanders, seeing the bag of sand, sang out, Hello, stranger, come back. I reckon you have lost your baggage. I rose 7,000 feet, and there remained until I was wafted some twenty miles farther to the east, which occupied about a half an hour more. During which time, I heard many discharges of what I took to be muskets. Not knowing, but being apprehensive that the globe over my head was the object of firing, I prepared for making all the signals possible when I should again be near the earth. But while I was that elevated, I had no fear, for it was impossible to send a ball within a mile of me. Having several yards of red silk in my car, I tied it to the edge, and letting it hang down by descending, this would keep in motion and give the whole concern a more lifelike appearance. Thus prepared, with hat in one hand ready to wave and valve open in the other, I commenced a gradual descent. Within a half mile of the earth, I heard loud cries of terror and saw people running in all directions, but I was determined to land for good this time, let come what would, and then five minutes more the anchor took a firm hold in a short scrub oak, and the car gently touched the ground. That fast, the globe gently swinging to and fro, presented a very lifelike appearance. I soon noticed some heads peeping around the corner of a log hut that stood nearby, and in which there seems to be a persons in great distress. I called to them to come and assist me, at which... They took no notice until I threatened to cut loose and run over them, at which point two white boys, three old ladies, and three negroes ventured within twenty feet of me. At that moment, a gust of wind caused the balloon to swing over near to the ground, and a general stampede took place which caused me to abandon all hope in getting any assistance but after telling them it was fastened to a tree and would not hurt them, they again ventured up in company with a stalwart-looking young woman, six feet high and very well proportioned, and took hold of the edge of the car. I inquired what was the matter in the house, and was told that several old persons were praying, as they thought the day of judgment had come. I then asked if there were any white men about. They said they expected them every minute that they saw the great thing coming, and had to run for their guns. This was rather an unpleasant piece of information, and I was determined to keep as large a crowd around me as possible. In a few minutes, men with muskets began to collect, but seeing women, children, and negroes surrounding the air traveler, there seemed to be no use for firearms, so I discharged the gas, unmolested, and packed up the machine ready to leave. By this time, the devil that could travel through the air, one adding that he had followed it ten miles and had shot at it six times without any effect. The tall young woman after assured me that there was no danger, for all the men then in the neighborhood were cowards as all the brave ones had gone to the wars. Notwithstanding, they all declared they were not afraid. However, promising to give myself up when I arrived at the village, they consented that I should leave under a guard of nine armed men. Procuring a team, we started for Unionville, a village nine miles distant, and arrived that evening halting in front of a stone building with a small checkered window. The council was then held with the jailer who positively refused to allow any such animals, as they described to come into the building. I was then taken to a hotel and soon found persons of intelligence who assured me that I was among friends. Here, I remained over the Sabbath and was called upon by many persons of fine education who informed me that of all places in the South, the spot where I landed, the inhabitants were the most ignorant, for they could neither read nor write. I asked for a certificate showing my time of landing and was furnished with one. The next morning, I started en route for home. But news had reached Columbia, the capital of South Carolina, that a man had brought papers from Cincinnati, Ohio, only nine hours old. I was therefore, at first, arrested on suspicion of being a bearer of dispatches. This brought together a number of learned and scientific gentlemen who had once knew me by my reputation and saw my position, and I was immediately released and furnished with a passport by the mayor of Columbia. From this time until I reached Cincinnati, no more impediments were placed in my way. From this time until I reached Cincinnati, no more impediments were placed in my way, but on the other hand, all with whom I met strove to render me all the assistance in their power. To Dr. John H. Boatwright, Mayor of Columbia, Andrew Lee Esquire, Adams Express agent, and E.C. Whittington of the Daily South Carolinian, I am particularly indebted for personal favors." Ere concluding this hasty narrative, a word or two is required concerning the success of the experiment, for which I will say that had my airship been of 10,000 feet more capacity, which would have enabled me to sail a mile higher, I could have landed on the sea coast in a due east direction from my starting point in less than six hours. As it was, I was taken out of my course by the influence of the mountains and the local currents, over which, with my small machine carrying heavy instruments, etc., I had no control, landing by the course I've traveled about 1,200 miles in nine hours, which required five days and nights steady railroading to get home again. From the experience I have gathered... I am convinced that to travel in the eastward current requires twice the altitude over land that it does on the coast and over the ocean. And when I consider that the local currents on the earth were during the whole day moving to the southwest, and with a machine of only one eighteenth part the capacity of the one I have prepared to cross the ocean, and traveling the distance that I did, and nearly east most of the time, I can safely conclude that with my machine and its appliances, it is an easy matter to cross the Atlantic in less than two days. Previous to my return to Philadelphia to prosecute my plan, and by request of many citizens, I shall make one more experimental voyage, starting in the daytime, giving the public an opportunity of witnessing the departure, on which occasion I intend taking several passengers.
0: T.S.C. Low. And that concludes our special coverage of Professor Lowe's Odyssey in the Air. You can read all about the professor's ongoing aeronautical exploits in the pages of the Daily Commercial. I'm Murray Halstead, and this has been your Queen City Bulletin.